a few verses, Deuteronomy chapter 1, just the first six verses, and then we're going to be in various places throughout the, the book of Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side of Jordan in the wilderness. Uh, these be the words, it says, which Moses spake. And I, I'm reminded as we, uh, of the scripture in Timothy where it says, uh, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And God used Moses to give us these words, and it wasn't just for them back then, was it? Uh, but it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. God has something for us tonight. It says, These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side of Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain over against the Red Sea, between Paran and uh, Tophel and Laban and Hezeroth and, and Dizahab. And there are eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. And it came to pass in the fortieth year, in the eleventh month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them. After he had slain Sion, the king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, which dwelt in Ashtaroth at uh, Ridai, on this side of Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for the scripture, and I thank you for what this scripture teaches us about the Lord and your love for us, our love for you, and what you have done for us, and I pray that you'd open up our eyes to the wonders of the scripture tonight, and Lord, not only that we would see what it meant for them in their day, but what it means for us in our day, and this is a timeless book from a timeless Savior, and we're thankful for it. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The book of Deuteronomy, as much of the scripture, has been under attack at times. As you know, the scripture starts off with declaring who it was that gave these words. These, were, these be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness. You know, people will try to question whether Moses was the author. Originally, they talked about how there was no written language at the time of Moses, so he couldn't have written it, and that was obviously proved incorrect by history. Of course, Scripture proved it long before history. Uh, you know, our archaeological studies have done, but it was attacked there. It was attacked for its places in which it was written, and I think, I think there's no question as to why Satan... This uh, doesn't like this book, and I think it's for the same reason he doesn't like any of the scripture. It's God's word. But the Lord would specifically reference the book of Deuteronomy in his temptations. If you were to read Matthew chapter 4 or Luke chapter 4, when Satan came and tempted the Lord, uh, the Lord in his response to Satan would reference Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3, it said, He humbled thee and, and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. That he might show thee, that, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. How many remember that when the Lord told that to Satan, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? The next two temptations, when he was tempted, it would be referenced in from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy six sixteen: Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God, as ye tempted him in, in uh, as ye tempted him at Massa. And here we see the Lord Himself would reference this book of Deuteronomy, and the book of Deuteronomy lifts up the importance of Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, on the, I think the verses are on your outline. It says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. The book of Deuteronomy highlights the importance of God's word. 
I think of what the Bible says about his word. I think of Psalms 119 where it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against thee. I think wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. The scripture says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. How important the word of God is to our life. Deuteronomy emphasizes the importance of the scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ himself would uh, reference scripture right back at Satan in the face of temptation. And there's a, a good lesson to, be, to learn about dealing with temptation, the importance of the word of God. The Old Testament prophets quoted from Deuteronomy frequently, and there are over 80 references to it in your New Testament. Over 80 times the New Testament refers to the book of Deuteronomy. It's no wonder that, that the devil does not care for the book of Deuteronomy. It's the same reason he does not care for the Bible that you hold in your hand tonight. Uh, it is a tool that we need in the Christian life. Uh, the scripture tells us to read it, to study it, to search it, to meditate upon it, to engraft it. I love the scripture where it says, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls, to engraft it into our life. What would your life be apart from the scripture? You ever think about that? And if our lives are the same without the scripture, we might have a problem. Uh, you think about pulling the word of God away from your life where you no longer had its principles, never, no longer had it to read, and no longer had its instruction, where would you be? And if you are the same without it as you are with it, that might reveal the need, desperate need we have to get deeper into the scripture. But the scripture highlights its importance in our life and the tool, the key of it to, to living right. I think of our young people right up the street from Master Club to the Youth House. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy what? Word. We live in a dirty world. You want to know how to stay clean? Stay in the word. Stay in the word. I tell you what our young people need, the same thing us, that we need is to be in the word. Deuteronomy highlights that, and in Deuteronomy, he would remind the people as they went in to take the promised land. They had been 40 years in the wilderness. Moses was preparing to hand them off to Joshua as they would cross over to the Jordan River, and, and they would enter into the promised land, the, the victories they would experience, the cities they would dwell, the, the, the cities that they would have that they did not build, the vineyards that they would reap from that they did not plant. And, and as they got into all that blessings and all the goodness of the promised land, the milk and the honey, and as they enjoyed it, he said, you better be in the word. You better be in the word. Because if not, you're going to be in trouble. You'll get lost. And, and obviously, if you know the history of the people of Israel, that's what happened when they entered into Babylonian captivity. They got away from God. They got away from his principles and they faced the consequences of it. It's an incredible warning to us in scripture. The name of this book the Jews of Alexandria who translated the Bible from Hebrew into Greek gave the last book of Moses this name of Deuteronomy. It's derived from two Greek words, which together mean the second law. For in Deuteronomy, we have the second giving of the law, or rather we have an exposition of the law by Moses for the second generation of Israelites. Here it is, as you know, this book just before they cross into the promised land. And, and Moses is giving them some of the law over again, but not just giving them over again. He's, ex, he's expounding on it and saying more about it. And the reason is it's a whole new generation, isn't it? One generation died in the wilderness. And he's turning around to another generation and say, saying, you need this word. And I think of how incredibly important it is for one generation to hand off to another generation the word of God. 
I love that verse, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's something to be handed off to another generation. The knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, growing in his word and understanding his doctrines and living that life of grace. Am I right? Grace, you think about experiencing God's working in your life. One of my prayers for the, when we have a service is, Lord, we want to exalt the Son of God. We, we, want to, uh, we want to exalt the Son of God and lift him up in our music and in our message. We want to expound upon the Word of God through the preaching of the Word of God. And as a result of that, we want to experience the grace of God working in our lives. That grace of God that brings about salvation, that grace of God that teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously in this, in this present world. The call to experience God's working of grace in our life. And Moses is turning to another generation and saying, you need this. You need this. I think, you know, parents, grandparents, church, one generation not handing off the truths of Scripture. One generation. And we're in a horrible spot. One generation. You know, what this church will be 10 years from now is based upon what we do today. What we do today with the Scriptures. The truths of it, the doctrines of it, the teaching of it. Your children, how do you hand it off? Obviously, there's individual soul liberty that they make a decision what they will do with the Word of God. But Moses was challenging them, the writer of this book. The children of Israel saw the acts of God but did not know Him like Moses knew Him. Deuteronomy is the result of his intimate knowledge plus the experience of 40 years in the wilderness as he would write about what God had done. God's title for this book is in the first few words of the verse chapter 1. These be the words. This book comprises a series of speeches made by Moses to the children of Israel. I'm going to come to those shortly. But he would speak in various times on different subjects concerning the law and history. And he would give those things. But uh, the people were given. He would, he would really reiterate a little bit their history and what God had done to bring them out of Egypt and into the promise up through the wilderness and right up against the Jordan River. And there's an incredible picture of grace here. The people of Israel had rejected the Lord there the first time at the Jordan River, rejected to trust the Lord, and yet here a generation was before the Lord again. A picture of God's grace. I've heard folks say there's no grace and there's not much grace in the Old Testament. I, I'd beg to differ with that a little bit. I think the Old Testament is loaded with the grace of God. Loaded with the grace of God in people's lives. And the fact that people were back here up against the, the Jordan River, again, given another chance, is, the oper- is a picture of the grace of God. And Moses was that picture. Moses, if you will, represented the law. In him was summed up and personified the principle of, of works because he embodied the law. He represented it and clothed it in flesh and blood. Moses could no more take the people into Canaan than a system of good works and take a person into heaven. Moses was an incredible picture of the law. God used him to give it. And as you know, because of a failing in his life, they could not enter into, he could not enter into the promised land. But God had chosen another man named Joshua, which means Savior, by the way. And he would lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And a picture of grace. It's by grace. I think when it comes to salvation, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves, but the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast that, friend, there is no work of the law that you or I could do that helps us enter into what God has for us. 
It's all a picture of grace. Moses, the one that God would give the law to and use to give the law, could not lead them in. But God would use a man in Joshua to lead them into the blessings and the rest of the promised land. A picture of God's grace in the, in the scripture. Um, a picture of God's grace. The purpose of this book. The book of Deuteronomy consists of a series of addresses by Moses designed to warn the Israelites whom he would soon leave of the dangers of this forgetfulness. This phrase, beware lest ye forget. He said again and again, thou shalt remember was another. These warnings run like a refrain from page to page in Deuteronomy. Here's just a few of them. Deuteronomy 4.9 on your outline. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. And lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Deuteronomy 4.23. Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image or likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. Deuteronomy 5.15. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence from a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm, Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy 6.12. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. He's saying, don't forget. Don't forget. The danger of forgetfulness. The danger of forgetting what God has done for us. The danger of forgetting the principles of Scripture. The danger of forgetting the doctrines of His Word. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says this, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which ye have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Colossians 1.23, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. In 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, would say this, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, toward doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by the prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 17, But evil men, speaking of the end times, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of that whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Jude, he would say, earnestly contend for the faith. What is he saying? Don't forget, don't be moved away from the doctrines and the truths and the scripture that you hold in your hand. You know God by knowing God's word. To know God's word is to know God and we are to grab its truths and grab its doctrines and not let them slip in our life. The, the, Moses was looking at a, at a generation of people. He said, I, this generation that's behind me, he said, we were back in bondage. We were in slavery. 
We were making bricks and building the cities of, of, of Egypt and we were being used that way and our, we, we were seeing our, the children cast out and killed because uh, they were just, just because they were a male child. We were watching that happen. We cried out in our affliction and the Lord heard. And he sent a man named Moses who would go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Who God would use to bring the plagues, to break the heart of Pharaoh, that he would sooner just throw them out of the, that he would get them out and let them take the spoils. And he goes, we were there when God parted the, the Red Sea. And uh, we were there as, as God gave water out of the rock and manna from heaven. And we were there as God gave us victory over Sion and Og in the, in the scripture. And he goes, unless you get into the promised land and forget who did it all. He said, when you begin to forget who did it all, you're in a dangerous place. Grab the truths of God's word. I think we live in a age, an age that's minimizing these things. That's elevating other things above the truths and the doctrines of the word of God. And the danger is, friend, from one generation to another lost because they do not hold. And they forget the truths of God's word. Paul would tell Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. He said, there's coming a day when they're going to have itching ears and they would rather you tell something they wanted to hear than tell them what they needed to hear. But I'm telling you, don't neglect the word. And I will tell you, when we minimize the scripture, we jeopardize our future. And we jeopardize the future of those who come after us. We put in question where people will stand when it comes to the great white throne judgment. And we put in question the condition of a man's life when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Some will be saved yet so as by fire. I'd rather be saved by fire than not saved at all. But I'd rather stand before that judgment seat of Christ and hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Than a rebuke for a life not lived in line with God's word. In Deuteronomy, there is the challenge of the scripture and the challenge to the generation to come. Don't forget who brought you here. And friend, you don't have to read much further in your Bible before you begin to see them forget. We watch the book of Joshua be a book of victory and we see the book of Judges become a book of forgetfulness before the people. As every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You notice it didn't say every man did that which was wrong in their own eyes. They thought they were right. Every man did that which was right in their own eyes. They determined that it was right, but they determined it by their own eyes. Right isn't determined by what we think about it. Right is determined by what God says about it. Right is determined by what God says about it. And I can't say, what do I think? I must say, what does God say in his word. And so the writer brings them and says, don't forget. And I think that call is a timeless call. I think it's a timeless call to every Christian. Don't forget. Go to the truths of God's word. The outline of this book, we see the history of Israel. 
there's a backward look. So if you were to look at chapters 1 through 3, you'd, you'd see the history of Israel. All those things that God had done as Moses would, would re-remind them of the victories they had experienced, the bondage they were in, the victory that God gave them as he led them out. He, he would remind them of how God led them through the wilderness. He would remind them of their failure at the Jordan River, of how a generation before a generation lost. Talk about a sad story, a saved soul. It's an example of a saved soul, but a lost life, isn't it? Those folks in the wilderness, they come to the Jordan River. They're ready to cross over, but in their doubt, they fail to cross over. And they're saved, right? God gives them 40 years, but it's a lost life. They don't get to experience the blessing of the promised land. Talk about a lesson on, a, on being careful that you don't have a saved soul with a lost life because we fail to trust God. But he remind them of their their failure there, in the, there at the river. And then he'd remind them of how even through that 40 years that God watched over them, gave them victories, Sion and Og, once again, the Lord proving them, I can give you victory in the promised land. Books of history, the journey that was reviewed, and then the holiness of Israel, chapters 4 through 11. It speaks of the way we live. It speaks of, of, of behavior in our life. We cannot possess all that God has for us unless we are willing to order our lives in the way that pleases Him. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein? Titus 2, 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. This book reminds us of this fact that there is a way for a Christian to live. That God doesn't save me to continue to live like the world. He saves me to live like Him. The wonderful thing about the Lord is that He doesn't expect me to do it on my own, right? He wants to do it in me and through me. To shape me and conform me to the image of His dear Son. But this book reminds us there is an expectation from the Lord that our lives will be different from the world around us. We are His. The heritage of Israel, there was a forward look of what was coming and what God would give them in the prosperity in the land and the hero of Israel lifting up as Moses what God would do in Moses' life. Then we see Jesus in this book. The Messiah will be a prophet in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19 and John 16, 14. You, you see the Lord in every, you see Jesus pictured in each of the books of the Bible, but the Messiah would be worshipped by angels in Deuteronomy 32, 3, and the Messiah typified in the cities of refuge. And you know the stories of the cities of refuge mentioned there in Deuteronomy that a man could run to them when he, was, when he had slain a man, whether it was by accident, and he could seek refuge in the city and uh, find refuge from the, the, the uh, avenger of blood, the, the family member that would come to seek life, and he'd find refuge there. It was a picture of the refuge that you and I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The refuge that we gain from him. Here we see the message. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, would you? And we're going to be in a few places as we finish up these next few minutes. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verses 7 through 8. It says here in Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
Moses begins to lay down in this passage of Scripture a brand new emphasis, if you will, from the other books that he would write. He begins to speak of love. He would speak of love. A love, that letter A, is love given. Love given to us by God. God is not revealed as a God of love in the laws of Exodus. Matter of fact, if you were to read Exodus, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, you would find the word love used four times. In Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. But in the book of Deuteronomy, it's used 20 times. Love is used 20 times in the book of Deuteronomy. And the Lord is reminding us. Folks say, well, there's not much love in the Old Testament, not much grace in the New Testament. This book differs with that opinion. And here in this passage of Scripture, we see the Lord making that statement here in verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the what? Fewest of people. He said, God didn't choose you because of who you were. But because the Lord what? Loved you. Boy, he gives us a good picture of the love that God has for us. Deuteronomy 4.37. And because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them. Deuteronomy 23.5. Nevertheless, the Lord thy good God would not hearken unto Balaam, uh, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee because the Lord thy God loved thee. Why did God bring him out of Egypt? He loved him. Why did he bring him across the Red Sea? He loved him. Why did he give him water from the rock? He loved him. Why did he send manna from heaven? He loved them. Why did he bring him through those 40 years in the wilderness in spite of the fact that they would doubt him at the Jordan River? He loved them. Why would he part the Jordan River and bring them once again into the promised land? Was it because of their number? Was it because of their works? Was it because of their ability to keep the law? Clearly not. Was it because of the, their, their, their lack of complaining? No, absolutely not. He brought them in because he loved them. He loved them. This Old Testament book demonstrates the love that God has for us. Why would he show mercy on, on these folks after they turned time and time again from him? He loved them. Why is there books after the book of Judges? After all the times that they did what was right in their own eyes and they ignored God. He loved them. And the scripture reminds us of this fact. I, I think it's, it's no different for us today. 1 John 4, 8 through 10. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is what? Love, in this was manifest the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love. Why did God watch over those people? He loved them. Why did God send his son to die for us? Was it because of our righteousness? Was it because of our holiness? Was it because of our demeanor? Was it because we are wonderful people? No, because we weren't. It was because of his love. It was because of his love. It's an amazing thing. I, I tell you what, when you read through the Old Testament... And, re and see the long-suffering nature of the Lord. And what was the motive for his long-suffering? His love. His love. It boggles my mind when I read the stories of how many times they doubted the Lord. Whether it was at the Red Sea, the bitter waters, the lack of water, the lack of food, the battles they would face. 
And yet, when you think about it and look at our own lives, how many times have we questioned whether God could or whether God would? And yet, God loves. Because God is love. This book of Deuteronomy reminds us that the Lord looks at this people and said, I didn't choose you because you were a mighty people. You were the fewest. He said, I chose you for one reason. I love you. I love you. God chose us for one reason. He loves us. He loves us in spite of us. There's a call for love returned in the scriptures. Love returned. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. I think the verses are on your outline. It says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Probably one of the greatest doctrinal statements in all the Bible in verse 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God is one Lord. And what that should produce. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, O Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him? Love him. 1 John 4, 17 through 19. Here is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he, what? First loved us. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 38. Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Deuteronomy is a picture of God loving his people and his people loving him back. Love. Thou shalt. He said, why did I choose you? I loved you. What do I ask of you in return? You love me back. Love. I think of the scripture we use oftentimes, and it's tr- and true, in the, begin- the beginning of wisdom is the what? The fear of the Lord, to stand in awe of the Lord. But I tell you, as you stand in awe of the Lord, one thing that should awe you about his nature is that he loves you. And that love that he expresses towards us should encourage us to love him back. I think, Christian, we ought to spend a good long time thinking about how much he loves us. What he did for you at the cross, how he loves you, loves us in spite of us. Love. Uh, Love is the key to the Christian life, isn't it? Love is the key to the Christian life. What do you love? Whom do you love? And we see this in Deuteronomy as much as sometimes we look to the the books of the law and look to the Old Testament and and we see the judgment and all of those things. But in reality, one thing that stands about them all all is that God loves people. (laughs) He holds people accountable and he hates sin, but he loves people. He loves them. And love that is returned. And then we see this. We see love displayed. We see love displayed. The motive for obedience is love. The true motive for obedience is stated in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, where he said these words. He said, uh, again, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. 
God's love for man is the motive for his government and the giving of laws. Man's love of God is the motive for his obedience. His obedience. Deuteronomy 30, 16. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Deuteronomy 30, verse 8. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command thee this day. John 14, 15. If ye love me, do what? Keep my commandments. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He's reminding us that love produces an action. Love produces an action. He's looking at some people as they are about ready to enter into the promised land. He said, don't forget. Don't forget who your God is. Don't forget what your God has done for you. Don't forget his love for you. Don't forget his deliverance. Don't forget his truths. Write it on the doorpost of your house. Write it in your home. Write it on your heart. Pass it on to your children. Don't ever forget how much God loves you and what God did for you. And love him. Love him. And as a result of love, obedience is natural to love. Obedience is natural to love. If you've got a God who loves you and, you've got a, and you love him in return, when he says, will you, our answer is yes. Yes. Why? Because I love him. I love him. He loved me so much that he gave his own life for me. How could I not love him enough that I would henceforth not live unto myself, but live unto the one who died for me? How could I not love him after he's loved me so much? And Moses was writing to those, those Israelites and saying, don't forget the one who loved you and brought you to where you are. Don't forget the truths of his word. Don't forget it. That love will make you follow him. Our following of our Lord is always a question mark of our love for the Lord. And I'll tell you how to stoke your love for the Lord. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done for you. Remember who he is. Remember who you are without him. And remember what he's done for you. That produces love. And that love brings me to a place when God says, Seth, I want you to do something. And my response is yes. Why? Love. Love. We're in a, I think that's why the Lord rebuked the church at Ephesus when he said, I have somewhat against thee that you have left your what? First love. He said, your love is slipping. Your love is slipping. And when our love slips, our actions follow. When love in your heart slips for the Lord, your actions are not far behind. Actions are evidence of love. Actions are evidence of love. My actions will follow what I love. 
and who I love. And Deuteronomy is this book. It's an incredible book. We can see all that God has done. Genesis, we see where we came from in the fall of man. Exodus, we see the way out. Leviticus, we see sanctification in the priesthood. We see these things unfolding numbers. We see how God cares about individuals. And here in Deuteronomy, we see the chief motivation, not only for us today, but back then. Why should a man keep the Sabbath back then? His love for the Lord. Why did he strive to keep the law? His love for the Lord. His love for the Lord. Why do we follow our Savior? Our love for the Lord. And when love fails, actions follow. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. And I thank you so much for the privilege of knowing you as my Savior. And Lord, I thank you so much for all that you've done for us in our life, that we might come to know Christ as our Savior. And Lord, how much you love us. I think of the word said in John, we love him because he first loved us. Lord, how true it is, you first loved us. You loved us first and you showed it for us first at Calvary and all that you've done for us. And Lord, strengthen our love for you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be cleansed of things that might be grabbing our affections and our attention and their eyes and minds and heart would be set on that which is above and loving our Savior and loving our Lord. And as a result of our love for you, that our actions would follow, that we would live a life that is pleasing in your sight. Lord, help us to hold the truths of Scripture. Lord, let us grab this book and its truths and lean on it and learn it and live by it. Lord, it's not just some words on a paper. It's the word of God that you, from a God who loved us with all that he had and gave his own son for us. And let us love you in return and follow your word because we love you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me just ask you this question first of all. How many say, preacher, I know that I'm saved and I can look back at my life and I know there's a time and place when I trusted Christ. And if I died right now, I know that I'd be with him. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand just between you and I and the Lord? You say, preacher, I know that I'm saved. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Is there anybody here tonight and say, Preacher, I'm unsure about whether I'm saved or not. I don't know that for sure, but I'd like to settle it this evening. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody like that? And I saved on a Wednesday night. And anybody here and say, Preacher, I'm, not, I'm unsure about it. Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many of you say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart? Maybe it's just the truths of Scripture. Just like Moses said back then under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, it's true for us today. Don't forget. Don't forget. Remember. Pass it on to another generation. Maybe it's just a matter of where our love is at. If we're not careful, our love goes all different ways and set up towards our Savior. It's quick, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, the hymnist would say. That can be true of us. You'd say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this evening. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play, as God has spoken to your heart in time of invitation and given? And well, I'd encourage you, don't, don't let God speak to your heart without responding and that love of God compels us to respond as he's spoken. And, but as God has spoken to your heart this evening, do business with the Lord.